which I think you'll find interesting, uh, stimulating. It's going to take you from the present and into the future, and you'll be hopeful about it. So I mentioned to you, Jeremiah 46 was the first of God's judgment speeches. He, being sovereign, will judge the nations, particularly for the sin of pride and arrogance, by which leaders say, I don't need God. I am God. We're seeing a lot of that today as the Middle East situation flares up and you see representatives of these nations. Uh, let's just say meekness and humility doesn't seem to be reigning supreme in positions of power uh, around the world today. And so God wants his people to be reminded, take it easy, your father is on the throne. If you are indignant about injustice, how much more he? So there are the judgment speeches, the first of which here is in chapter 46, directed towards Egypt. Verse 1. The word comes to Jeremiah concerning the nations. Verse 2, here to Egypt. And I'm going to do some paraphrasing because I want to move us uh, through the text. Uh, Pharaoh was the leader of Egypt. His name here is Necho, king of Egypt. He is going to be defeated along the Euphrates River at a place called Karkamesh by the leader of another nation named Nebuchadnezzar. And one of God's means by which he judges the nations are through other nations. He can turn one nation against another. He can use Babylon, a fairly godless empire. He can use it uh, as, an, as his vehicle of judgment. This is just how sovereign your father is. He can use one evil nation to exact judgment upon another. So Pharaoh Necho will be defeated, it says, in the fourth year, doesn't it, of Jehoiakim? And so we know it's in 605 B.C., I just want you to know there's a historical frame of reference here. We're not reading m Greek mythology. This is history. It's accurate, factual. In 605 B.C. at a place called Carchemish, northern part of the Euphrates River, Pharaoh Necho was defeated by Nebuchadnezzar. And so in verses 3 and 4, you see a list of weaponry. Take a look at it. Verses 3, you've got a shield, a buckler. Horses, steeds, helmets, spears, scale, armor. <clears throat> that means the Egyptian army was well equipped. An army that doesn't have sufficient materiel, we call it, will lose the battle. <clears throat> you have to be supplied, resourced. Egypt had plenty of supply, and yet sovereign God is going to judge her anyway. It is to show that when it's time, for a nation's army to be defeated, regardless of her resources, she will be defeated. And so you move on in the text and find out in verse 5 that the Egyptian army, though well equipped, ends up fleeing in ter terror uh, at the hands of God's judgment through Babylon. Now verse 7, who is this that rises like the Nile? like the rivers whose waters surge. Don't have to answer it. God gives the answer in verse 8. Egypt rises like the Nile. It's a metaphor. You know about the Nile River? It overflows its banks from time to time and can inundate and envelop the land area surrounding it. So too Pharaoh sought to be like that. I will surge over and above my national boundaries and I will inundate and affect the nations of the world. This was his attitude. Remember, sin of pride. Sin of pride. Uh, uh, that's the one that God will, will judge primarily. By the way, when you look to country leaders like Muammar Gaddafi, Libya, in the news today, just to look to him, are you kidding me? <laughs> what did Huckabee say? about him. He said uh, he has the personality of Charlie Sheen, dresses like Lady Gaga. 
<laughs> I mean, when Gaddafi struts his stuff, what emanates is not the quality of humility and meekness, is it? You ever see him in military garb? You talking about a chest full of medals. Who gave it to him? Hey, man, he owns the Department of Metal Making. You pin on your chest. I mean, this is it's the sin of pride and arrogance. I think of Benito Mussolini of old, different era. Remember how he used to strut his stuff? Remember this kind of, that was his... They hung him in the streets upside down. <clears throat> Your father's on the throne. He saved us not only from the penalty of sin, but also from the temptation to be hopeless. Take it easy. God is just. God can take care of the unjust. So anyway, and he will. So this is what you get. Here, uh, then verse 9, uh, go up, you horses, drive madly, chariots, mighty men. Then notice some countries mentioned. Ethiopia and Put handle the shield. Lydians handle and bend the bow. Those were mercenaries. Just about every nation's army relies on mercenaries, uh, has historically, it's a battle plan. You hire on people to help you fight your battles. They do it for wages. And so e the Egyptian army was made up of mercenaries from these countries. One is Ethiopia. Does your Bible say Cush? It's the same thing. It's Ethiopia. What modern-day country, when we read about Ethiopia here, what modern-day country is that? Anybody know? Ethiopia, yeah. Yeah. This is so much fun. <laughs> I did that in the la last class. But they didn't laugh. They got mad. <laughs> Come on, don't set us up like that. <laughs> Ethiopia. It's actually more than Ethiopia. It's modern-day Ethiopia and Sudan. You've heard about the Sudan? Yeah. So, so these ancient Middle Eastern countries are now in the news and will be in the future. Um, you're going to be hearing more and finding out more about the Middle East, whether you like it or not. That's uh, just the way it are. So anyway, you have Ethiopia, and then it says put. And uh, put, would you like to venture a guess as to what modern-day country that is? It's in the news today. Libya. That is Libya. So for a little bit of geography lesson, you know about Egypt and the unsettledness there. That's located in North Africa. And right next to Egypt is ancient put or Libya. Libya in the news today. So you have Ethiopia and Put. They handled the shield. In other words, that's infantry. And then you have the Lydians. Now the Lydians, that was a country in Western Asia Minor, modern-day Turkey. Modern-day Turkey. And it says they handle and bend the boat. Those were the archers. Okay, verse 10. That day, it's a day of judgment, belongs to the Lord. It's a day of vengeance, so as to avenge himself on his foes. Verse 11, God says to Egypt, Go up to Gilead and obtain balm, O virgin daughter of Egypt, in vain. You've multiplied remedies. There is no healing for you. Egypt in the day was known for its mastery of medicine. Egyptian physicians were brilliant. Medical practice was far advanced over all other nations, and yet God says, it will be to no avail. When I judge you, there will be no healing. In fact, says God, you could go up to Gilead for its bomb. Now, where is Gilead? Anybody know what country is that in? The hills or mountains of Gilead. You ever hear about that in the Bible? That's Israel. When we go to Israel, I take groups to the Golan Heights. And you could, Julio, that's where we're going, bro. And maybe even coming back. I don't know about that. <laughs> but, um, you go up to the Golan Heights, and from there we look into Syria and Lebanon, and just south of the Golan Heights, that's the, that's the hills of Gilead. 
and it was known for balm. A balm is like a medicinal salve, you know. You, 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 we sing, we sing s- songs. The balm of Gilead is just a reference to the Lord Jesus. He's our ultimate healer. And what God is saying is your medicine will be to no avail. And not only that, you can go up even to Gilead, known for its healing balm, but you won't find healing there either. Listen to me. God is a God of mercy, but when it's judgment day, no one will escape. There will be a day when the nations of the world will be judged, and it'll be too late at that point to turn to God for mercy. It will have run its course, and there will be judgment. So then it goes on here. I'm going to skip. How about verse 13? This is the message the Lord spoke to Jeremiah about the coming of Nebuchadnezzar to smite Egypt. Up until now, first 12 verses is a reference to the defeat of the Egyptian army at Carchemish along the Euphrates. But now verse 13 on is a reference to the actual invasion of the country of Egypt by the Babylonians. Okay, so that's what's happening here. By the way, I mentioned to you the Egyptian army was defeated at Carchemish in 605 B.C., but the invasion of Egypt did not take place until about 568 B.C., so a few years later, a few years later. Okay, so verse 14, declare in Egypt, proclaim in Migdal, Memphis, Tapanes, those are Egyptian cities known f- for idol worship. Take your stand, get ready, the sword has devoured those around you, etc., etc. Um, verse 16, they have repeatedly stumbled, indeed, they've fallen against one another. They said, get up, let's go back to our own people, our native land, away from the sword of the oppressor. That's what happens when your army is based on mercenary support. <laughs> see, see, the mercenaries fight for you as long as the battle is going their way. That's the trouble with paying people to fight your battles. They don't have your commitment, your heart, and your passion for it. They're just looking for the paycheck. Here they're finding out, we're going to get the tar beat out of us. And so they say, let's just go home. Let's take the money and run. And in fact, they, the mercenaries, say in verse 17, notice this, Pharaoh, king of Egypt, is but a big noise. He's let the appointed time pass by. Uh, Translation or paraphrase, he's a bunch of hot air. He's a political leader who's made promises he can't keep. You know what someone told me recently? Our study in the book of Jeremiah uh, has been irrelevant to the day, and therefore this person is glad we're just about through with it. Chuck, I did everything I could (laughs) to keep from responding the way you would have. (laughs) I'm kidding, bro. Chuck, if this isn't relevant, by the way, we make no apologies for teaching the word of God. You find the relevance by listening to the Holy Spirit. We can't pick and choose. If this is, is the word of God, it's in there for a reason. Come on. So anyway, it's intensely relevant. Do we not have political leaders today, one or two around the world, who also could be said to be big mouths, make a lot of noise, and don't follow through, and miss? See, 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 see where it says, see where it says, that um, verse 17 at the end there, uh, he has let the appointed time pass by. That means he has missed opportunities to do that which is really in the best interest of the people. He's just a lot of words but no action. That's what it means. Do we not have people like that? (laughs) Relevant? I could put the name of a few people in there. Yeah, I know, I know, I know, bro. <laughs> this, 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 is, this is where on the inside you say, oh, God, don't let me say it, don't let me say it, don't let me say it, don't. <laughs> folks, folks, um, the, the world's leaders are super communicators. They're intelligent. There is not an intellectual problem. No, it's much worse. 
They're intelligent. They're charismatic. They capture attention. <clears throat> they really can communicate. And they're hot air. The delivery is super. They've benefited from the media coaching. But listen to the content. Are you kidding me? Do you expect me to believe that? What? What? Well, the answer is they do. And people do, based on appearances. People are elected today by media, not by message. Do you know that? We are already past a two-party system. I'm not worried about a third party. We already have one. It's called journalism. The journalists elect people today. It's just our country. I'm not talking about the others. Oh, my goodness. Hosni Mubarak in Egypt. Bled his people dry. Got rich at their expense. Muammar Gaddafi in Libya. Oh, my goodness. <clears throat> Uprisings all over the Middle East except one country thus far. Saudi Arabia. They have a preemptive approach to things. You know what they've done? It's brilliant. By the way, there's an uprising even in Syria. Folks, Syria is one of the most oppressive regimes in humankind. The present country leader is quite brilliant. He's a doctor. And his father preceded him. They have such tight control over the country, you cannot believe it. There's been an uprising. And what did they do to the protesters? They fired on them. They killed hundreds of them so far already, Syrians. So Saudi Arabia has taken a look at this in Yemen and uh, Libya and Egypt and Jordan. And they say, we don't want this. You know what they did? <clears throat> they increased the return on people's stock portfolios in Saudi Arabia. Oh, they did? They did a few things. Our sister is saying they handed out they actually handed out money to people. They raised the return 2.1%. They're buying. Here's the deal. World leaders know. Let's give them what they want. To shut them up. I have a relative under a different administration in our country, a prior administration. There was immorality in high places. And I uh, had a discussion with my relative who said, I don't care as long as I got a job. See? Just give the people, just give the people what they want. What happens when you can't give the people what they want? They turn against you. And when they turn, it's, it's usually economically driven. When that happens, historically, the ones who fill the void are almost always, almost always worse. Than the, so we're bombing Libya now. <coughs> we don't have ground troops there. Yet, we're bombing them hundreds of thousands of dollars every time we make a deal. Could you please tell me why the, why the Arab countries aren't taking responsibility? Primary. For, I know they have a role. Um, United Arab Air Emirates, Qatar or Qatar, they're flying. But we're, we're doing the bulk of that expense. Please tell me. Please tell me. And here's the deal behind it. We're presuming that if we get rid of that character... It'll be better. Do we know who on the ground is trying to get rid of him? He's terribly anti-American. But do you have any idea how he could be replaced by those who are more viciously anti-American than ever? Wow, 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 wow. It's enough to make you upset until you read this, which apparently is not relevant. <laughs> <coughs> In which God says, do you, if you're indignant... How much more may? Don't worry. Everyone will give account. As I live, verse 18, declares the king, whose name is the Lord of hosts. Surely one shall come who looms up like Tabor among the mountains or like Carmel by the sea. You know who that is a reference to? No. <laughs> it's a reference to Nebuchadnezzar. Look at, look at, he looms up. He's coming. Remember, the Babylonians are coming against Egypt as an instrument of judgment. He looms up like he is 
almighty. But he's like Tabor and Carmel. What does that mean? Those are mountains in Israel. And uh, Tabor is about 1,800 feet high. Is that a very tall mountain? No. And Mount Carmel, it's a Carmel mountain range. We were there, remember? Carmel mountain range. At the peak, it's 1,700. But in comparison to the low-lying surrounding area, they look like Pike's Peak. That's the deal. Nebuchadnezzar thinks he's something. He's only something because Nico is even less something. And Nico, Pharaoh Nico, is less something because God is going to reduce him. So that's kind of what's kind of going on there. Verse 19, get ready for exile. Egypt. Memphis, that's not where Elvis is from. This is a different. <laughs> Memphis has become a desolation, burned down. Verse 20, Egypt's a pretty cow, a heifer. <laughs> but a horsefly is, is coming, a gadfly. Egypt is a cow strutting her stuff, but a little fly is going to bring her down. It's a, it's a metaphor. It's, it's right in Egypt's face because they worshipped a god called Apis, a bull. And God is saying, you know, all this, I can send a little mosquito and take care of business. So that's kind of what's happening. Then what you have in the next few verses are additional metaphors with regard to Egypt's judgment and destruction. Um, but then you get this in verse 26, which is unbelievably surprising. I'll give them over to the power of those who are seeking their lives, even into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, Afterwards, after judgment, afterwards, however, it, Egypt, afterwards, Egypt will be inhabited as in the days of old, declares the Lord. Whoa. So remember I told you in the series of judgment speeches about ten nations, four are singled out as ones who, who receive a message of hope. And here's the first, um, Egypt, here in verse 46. There will be judgment, but God will restore Egypt. And I need to show you a parallel passage in the Bible that supports this, that is quite significant, that I think you'll find quite interesting. It's Isaiah chapter 19. So could you turn now to Isaiah chapter 19, and we'll begin at verse 16. Just a few verses. I, th I think you'll like this. Isaiah 19, verse 16. <clears throat> a parallel passage to the message we've just read here in Jeremiah 46, a message of hope for Egypt. Okay, so verse 16. With what three words uh, does your verse 16 in Isaiah 19 begin? And that is very significant because in this passage, you'll see the phrase in that day repeated five or six times. What does it mean? Generally speaking, when you see the phrase in that day, it's a reference to the uh, time of Messiah and his kingdom on earth. Some of us believe that's called the millennial reign of Christ. And I know people don't want to argue prophecy and neither do I. But once again, do you realize how much of the Bible is about future things? It cannot be ignored. So I think this in that day is a reference to a day way beyond Isaiah's day and even beyond ours. It has not yet happened yet, and you'll see. It's the kind of day, uh, atmosphere, that can only be ushered in by the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. Charlie? Yes, sir, you're right, which makes it even more surprising. 
you'll see um, uh, towards the end of Jeremiah, God even has a message of hope for Iran. It's interesting, Charlie. See thing. But anyway, uh, thank you. Uh, I think you're, you're right on target. I think you're right on target. Okay, verse 16. In that day, future, the Egyptians will become like women. Ladies, I'm sorry. That is not in this context a compliment. <laughs> the Egyptians will become like women. They will tremble and be in dread because of the waving of the hand of the Lord of hosts, which is going to wave over them. The land of Judah will become a terror in, uh, to Egypt. What's another name for the land of Judah? Yeah, that's Israel, folks. Israel will become a terror to Egypt. Everyone to whom it is mentioned will be in dread of it. Why? Because of the purpose of the Lord of hosts, which he is purposing against them. Now, folks, I can't tell you what an irony this is. The mighty Egyptian empire of the day being told there will be a day when dinky Judah will be a source of terror to them. Folks, that is not in this day yet. It is a day to come. Israel is dinky Israel. It's the size of dinky New Jersey. New Jersey is just a dinky state. It's just, boy, am I offending. Anyone here from New Jersey? <laughs> yeah, sorry. You're our brother. Man, am I glad you're from New Jersey. Thank you. Welcome to the Great Republic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I know of New Jersey. I'm from New York. We used to use New Jersey as a place to go through on the way to better places. Yeah, that's why God created New Jersey. All right. Man. Look at here. Yeah, Joe? Yeah, this is an interesting point. In, modern, in, in our modern-day, Charlie's bringing uh, up uh, modern-day war in, in the Middle East. Uh, uh, Israel defeated Egypt in about five days. Yeah. This is, this is a re so we're seeing hints already of this, but it's just fascinating to me if you look at, just look on a map, to see the land area of Israel in comparison to its neighbors. <laughs> I mean, it is just a narrow strip of land along the Mediterranean. There's really nothing to it. And yet God says there will be a day because it says this is the purpose of God when the mighty nation of Egypt will be in terror of, uh, 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 of Judah is what it says right, right there. And then it says um, in verse, uh, where are we? Anyone know? Oh, verse 18 of Isaiah 19. Thank you so much. <laughs> hey, you get old, you, you lose track. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so, so verse 18, in that day, so there the phrase is repeated again, right? In that day, five cities in the land of Egypt. Folks, that is a, a representation of the whole nation of Egypt, not just five cities. It's a reference to the, to the country. In that day, five cities in the land of Egypt will be speaking the language of Canaan. What country is that? That's Israel. Now, what does that mean? Does it mean Egyptian people will no longer speak Arabic? No, it does not mean that. There's nothing wrong with Arabic. It's frankly a beautiful uh, language. That's not what's in view. To speak the language of Canaan is to understand the culture and customs of the people in the land. Why will the Egyptians have to embrace the, the culture and customs of the people in Israel? Because they're going to worship the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And folks, now I'm going to step on toes. You can't worship him in a Gentile way. Now, I know we've been doing that for a few thousand years. So, but I got to tell you, the roots of your faith and mine are in Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Right. I, just, I didn't say there's any second-class citizens. Absolutely not. No way. But the church has succeeded in so removing the Bible from its Hebraic context that it's pretty foreign to my people now. It really looks like a Gentile thing. As a for instance, we refer to the mother of the Lord as Mary, don't we? Because in the Middle Ages, the translators changed her name to Mary, when in fact her name is Miriam. Miriam. How about the book of Jude? That's in the Bible, right? Jude? His name is Yehuda. Judas. 
the early translators changed it to Jude. How about, how about James? James. You know what his name is? Yaakov. Jacob. <laughs> Should be the letter of Jacob, not James. They changed it. You know why? It was looking too Jewish. Middle Ages um, theologians, anti-Semitic theologians. They still exist today. By the way, when we read in the Bible, for Christ, our Passover has been sacrificed for us. Don't you see that is relatively meaningless unless you understand it's the fulfillment of the Jewish feast of Passover. He is the fulfillment. When you read in Hebrews, labor to enter into Shabbat or Sabbath rest. How do you know what that means unless you understand the fourth commandment given by Moses in the book of Exodus? How can you understand the book of Hebrews when you're reading of a new and better covenant in a tabernacle and temple not made with hands unless you understand the book of Leviticus? That's our Torah. That's our Torah. That's a very Jewish book. How do you understand fully what it means when it says your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit unless you understand the whole significance of the, the um, Old Testament temple? All, all I'm saying is um, not to become Jewish or anything like that, but God has seen fit to unfold his redemptive plan in a very Hebraic way. And in this day, the Egyptians who turned to the true God are going to have to learn the language of Canaan in order to worship him in spirit and in truth. And by the way, I think you're going to see that increasingly with the church of Jesus Christ when the time known as the fullness of the Gentiles comes to an end. Read Romans 11. Okay, so they're going to have to speak the language of Canaan, verse 18, and swear allegiance to the Lord of hosts. And one of their cities is going to be called the city of destruction. What does that mean? Well, it could also be translated city of the sun. If that's the case, that's a reference to Heliopolis in Egypt, was the locale of the worship of the Egyptian sun god. The point is, they will, they will no longer show allegiance to false gods, they will worship the Lord of hosts. Verse 19, in that day, remember, in that day, once again, there'll be an altar to the Lord in the midst of the land of Egypt and a pillar to the Lord near its border. It'll become a sign and a witness to the Lord of hosts in Egypt, for they will cry to the Lord because of oppressors, and he will send them a savior and a champion and he will deliver them. What's his name? That's the Lord Jesus. Now look at Israel was in terrible straits, was oppressed in Egypt, and she cried out to God, and he delivered. And Egypt will do the same. So look how good God is. There will be judgment, but always, always an opportunity to repent. And in the midst of all the oppression, and it isn't this leader who could be replaced by another leader. When they've exhausted all human alternatives, it's not this party, it's not that party, it's not the United Nations, it's not the EU, it's not the Israel, it's not, it's, not, it's not anything man could do. It's what the Savior, what the champion could do. Then when people call out to him, even the Egyptians who were given to the worship of the sun god and the bull god and all this stuff, God will hear because the one cry God always hears is a cry for mercy. He won't hear a cry for rights. <laughs> but he hears a cry for mercy, even if it comes from the Egyptians. And when he hears, he'll send a safe. This is yet to come, but it will come. Egypt is largely Muslim, don't you get it? And Charlie alluded to this group called the Muslim Brotherhood, uh, inspired by Iran, but uh, getting much more influence now in Egypt than ever before. The Muslim Brotherhood is now making promises to Christians in Egypt of their safety, but be they've been behind the bombings of Egyptian Christian churches up until now. It's just a line of deception. Wherever there's unsettledness, more extreme groups take it as an opportunity. Groups are on our list of terror groups are now duly appointed governments like Hamas. 
Are you joking me? That's a duly appointed government of the Palestinian people. Who knows what government will be the government in Egypt? I guarantee you it's not going to be an Orthodox Christian government. It's going to be more Muslim. But even then, there'll come a day when people will see the impoverishment and emptiness of every false religion, Judaism, Islam, and all the rest, and will cry out, Oh, God, God of Israel, God of the people of Canaan, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, save us. And he will in that day. Who could usher that in? Only he. That's, it hasn't happened yet. We haven't seen it. It will come, but not yet. And then it says, verse 21, Thus the Lord will make himself known to Egypt. The Egyptians will know the Lord in that day. They'll even worship with sacrifice and offering. They'll make a vow to the Lord and perform it. The Lord will strike Egypt, striking but healing. So they will return to the Lord, and he'll respond to them. He will heal them. Remember, they couldn't heal themselves. They couldn't be healed by the bomb of Gilead, but they could be healed when they are reconciled to Almighty God. Verse 22, in that day, again, the phrase is there, there'll be a highway. We're not just talking about a roadway here. It's kind of a metaphor. When there's a highway, it means a bridge between peoples. There'll be a highway from Egypt to Assyria. Do you know what Assyria is? Modern-day Iraq. We have soldiers there. We've lost soldiers there modern-day Iraq, there will be a highway from Egypt to Assyria, and the Assyrians will come into Egypt, the Egyptians into Assyria, and the Egyptians will worship with the Assyrians. The Egyptians will worship with the Iraqis. Iraqi is Muslim. Do you know Sunni Muslim or Shia Muslim, the two warring groups? But they're Muslim. We think of Iraq as a Muslim. But in this day, oh, my goodness, even there, they'll worship the true God. In, when this was written, this prophecy, don't you see Egypt and Assyria were at odds with one another. They hated each other. But there will come a day in that day when a bridge will be built between these nations. I guarantee you, it's not going to come through political means or military intervention. It's going to come through Messiah Jesus, the Prince of Peace. Verse 24, in that day, there it is again. In that day, so there are some people who say, all oh, this has been fulfilled already. They don't know what they're talking about. Are you joking me? In that day, its future will be the third party with Egypt and Assyria. Excuse me. In that day, Israel will be the third party with Egypt and Assyria, a blessing in the midst of the earth. Can you imagine the Egyptians, the Israelis, and the Iraqis partying together? Are you joking me? That's called peace in the Middle East. And it ain't coming through the United States, the United Nations, or, or it, those are, that's a Tower of Babel. Any of these united, let's unite and fix what we done broke, that's a Tower of Babel. That is not going to happen. Just as God looked down on the Tower of Babel, you build it as high as you want, he's still higher. He's going to look down on man's efforts to fix what man's sin has broken. But he can pull it off, and he will, in that day. Verse 25, whom the Lord of hosts has blessed, saying, Blessed is Egypt, my people, and Assyria, the work of my hands, and Israel, my inheritance. What a day. Because your father has saved you from more than just presence, power, and penalty of sin. He has saved you from hopelessness. He's the God of all hope. He says, be hopeful. I will right what's wrong. I will straighten what you have made crooked. I and no one else, and you will worship me, the Most High God. Well, now, as we close, back, hate to do this, go back and forth, but back to Jeremiah 46, just for the two closing verses of the chapter. Jeremiah 46, I want you to see this. Jeremiah 46, beginning in verse 27. <clears throat> Here's what it says. But as for you, 
O Jacob, my servant, do not fear, nor be dismayed, O Israel. For, see, I'm going to save you from afar and your descendants from the land of their captivity. Jacob will return and be undisturbed and secure with no one making him tremble. Let me tell you something. Israel is shaken in their boots now. I have contacts there. I know them. They are shaking in their boots. Charlie is right. Iran is already sending shiploads of arms coming in through Gaza. The recent bombing in Jerusalem uh, of, um, at a bus station is not the big concern. It's what's happening in southern Israel in Beersheba, place of biblical significance, um, missile attacks from Gaza, longer-range missiles uh, than before, because even when Mubarak, as bad as he was, was the leader of Egypt, we were able to put pressure on him, the U.S., to curtail the shipment of bombs and armament from Egypt into Gaza. Those two countries share a border. But now there's nobody to stop that. You have unsettledness in Egypt, and so now Gaza is being armed like crazy. So you have that, you have Yemen, you have Syria, you have Jordan. Israel is smart enough to know they're not going to be replaced by a democratic leader, these country dictators. They'll be ex replaced by more extremists. So Israel is shaking, doing what they could, even our own Secretary of Defense, to his credit, naturally because he's an Aggie and he's, he's smarter than most of our politicians, but anyway... Even he said, who would not let a country defend them, their civilian populace from missile attacks like this? But you watch, Israel's going to come under fire for defending herself. It's just the way. United Nations sanctions are on the way again. I wish Israel would misfire one of their missiles and hit the UN. <laughs> That's what I wish would happen. What a waste of of property in New York City. Put up, put up a hot dog stand and it'll be more benefit than what those... Anyway. So, 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 so here's the deal. But God says in, in, in that day you say, uh, you will be undisturbed and secure, Israel. No one will make you tremble. Oh, Jacob, my servant, do not fear, declares the Lord, for I am with you. I'm I'm tooting the Israel horn a lot these days for reasons I can explain to you. Almost every seminary in our country is embracing a theology called replacement theology where God is through with Israel. So I'm going to yell and scream about it because that is not right. And you're going to be influenced by it. Just read John Piper and you'll see even what he has, is up to. Listen to Hank Hennegraff, the Bible answer man. Almost every seminary, including some of our own now, are turning theologically against it. You can kill us with bombs, but you do more harm when you kill us with theology. And that's kind of what's happening. So I'm just decided I'm just going to um, have a counterattack. So, so here's the deal. If you're wrong about Israel, you're going to be wrong uh, uh, about a lot of things. Because as I mentioned Wednesday night, the only purpose of Israel is to reveal human nature, which stinks, and in comparison, divine nature. And so God's nature is reviewed here where he said, I am with you. So you can't be against Israel if God says, I'm with you. I'm with you for I will make a full end. Look, I will make a full end of all the nations where I have driven you, yet I will not make a full end of you, but I will correct you properly and by no means leave you unpunished. No, God has not rejected Israel, but I guarantee you God is disciplined. You know that bombing a week or so ago in uh, Jerusalem, by the way, if that happened in the U.S., we'd be all over that thing. But everyone is calling for Israel. Restraint, restraint. It's at a telephone booth. It wasn't a suicide bomber. No, they're getting better at this. It was a remotely detonated thing. So who's supplying them with all? Yeah, exactly correct, Iran. So it was at a bus station. It's not a military installation. Civilians. What if they did that here? I'd be getting my semi-automatic ready to go. I don't know about you. We have a right to defend ourselves. 
It's in our Constitution. Well, they do too. So, 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 so anyway, uh, um, I, I look at that and have all kinds of emotions. One of the people we relate to when we go to Israel, a missionary we support, our church does, his young boy uses that bus station to go back and forth to school. He missed it by an hour. We're talking about kids, man, civilians. You want to fight? Let's fight. Army against army. Why are you bombing civilians? You know what Israel does when they have an incursion into Gaza? They drop leaflets. Clear out because we're taking out that bomb factory. Who drops leaflets over Israel? Stay home today because we're going to bomb your bus station. That doesn't happen. But anyway, uh, I look at it and I, I say to myself, if my people, mine, had not turned their backs on their Messiah, I don't think we would have had that bombing. I take responsibility. Because my people, the lost sheep of the house of Israel, have turned from the shepherd, the shepherd says, then I won't protect you. And the bombers who did it, you know why they did it? Because they're filled with darkness too. I don't hate them. We're not permitted the luxury of hatred. It's Satan. He's blinded the minds of my people. He's blinded the minds of those people. And but for God's grace, we would be filled with darkness too. Jesus is the way. Satan is not. Everything going on is a cosmic behind-the-scenes battle between Satan and Savior. This particular chapter tells us Savior wins. I hope you're on the winning side. Brother Chuck? Yeah. We're in a spiritual warfare against good and evil, and it's right before us. So on CNN 24-7, the book of Revelation is not real, and anybody that would believe it is a fool and full of folly. Oh, my. It's an essence of what we're seeing. Except yeah. Never has a book been more relevant than where we are. Yeah, yeah. Ever. I agree. Oh, man, and yours. And I guess I should tell you now, it was Maureen who made that comment. <laughs> Charlie? <coughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely correct. Absolutely. Listen. Yes, ma'am. Yes. Ah. Oh, my. Who's your grandson? Jonathan is your grandson? He's a great kid. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. Oh, my. This dear concerned grandmother has a beautiful kid named Jonathan, grew up here in the church, and he's serving in Ethiopia. Yes, there, you never don't hold that against Jonathan. 
Yeah, but, uh, they grew up together. They're friends. And uh, Jonathan's gone to serve the Lord in Ethiopia. And this lady was just sharing how Al-Qaeda has burned down and bombed a number of churches there, persecuting Christians. And Jonathan, who's on the ground, says happens pretty frequently. So-called religion of peace. No. Okay, enough of that. We close with this. Romans fifteen thirteen. Now may the God of hope. See? Hope. Fill you with all joy and peace. How? In believing. What? His record. His word. His truth. So that you may abound in hope. How? By the power of the Holy Spirit. Spirit of God. Word of God. Hope. Don't walk around like everybody else. <laughs> Gloom and do- No, man. God gave us this just to say, y'all need encouragement. Y'all are taking your lead from the news. <laughs> what do those people know? I see the end from the beginning. Here's the end. Your dad won. You share in the victory. Be hopeful. Isn't that good? That's good. Lord Jesus, thank you for saving us from the terrible penalty of sin which is due us but thank you for saving us for a whole bunch of other stuff too including cynicism despair depression all the rest oh my goodness victory in jesus our savior and the savior of all people groups who call upon his name and this forevermore. thank you lord jesus for letting us have a glimpse we don't have to agree about every detail that's not the point for letting us have a glimpse into the broad strokes of future days so that we could relax be salt be light be strong be holy be dedicated be committed be unwavering be above it all knowing lord jesus that the best is yet to come thank you for saving all those who call upon your name for you desire for all to be saved and for none to perish. Thank you for saving us. This we pray with thanksgiving in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, God bless you folks. More irrelevance next week.